Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Pump Court Family Law Podcast. It's me, Tara Lyons, and today I'm going to be joined by Nina Lake and Jessica Smith of Howard Kennedy. And we're discussing well-being and mental health in family law. As practitioners, we're all used to thinking about mental health issues regarding our clients. But as a profession, we're sometimes slow to take care of our own mental health and look out for that of others around us. Earlier this year, Resolution reported that more than half of the 1,200 family law practitioners surveyed said they considered leaving the profession in the last three years because of concerns about their well-being. And one in four family practitioners contemplated leaving family law following lockdown. A little bit about our guests. Nina is a partner and Jessica is an associate in Howard Kennedy's Legal 500 ranked family team. Both advise not just in high net worth, but also ultra high net worth clients in relation to family law issues and frequently act for clients involved in complex litigation disputes. Nina's accolades include winning the 2020 City Wealth Future Leaders Award in the family law partner category. And she's also recently been recommended in the Spears 500 directory of family lawyers. Jessie's has this year won silver in the City Wealth Future Leaders Award in the category of Family Law Associates, as well as being listed as a rising star in Spears 500 and one to watch in the Chamber's 2022 directories. I'm in amazing company and uh, I feel quite intimidated now. Nina, Jessie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, it's lovely to have you both. Um, Jesse. if I can start with you, uh, were you surprised by those figures uh, that Resolution reported? Not at all. Um, what I was, I think I was perhaps surprised that people had been so open about it, but for me it felt more like a confirmation of what I already knew to be the case, which is that it is increasingly difficult to protect our well-being um, and peace of mind in this job um, and I certainly know that as a junior family lawyer when you're still developing the skills that you need to create boundaries between yourself and the cases and the trauma that you're witnessing um, with your clients and their children and all sorts of terrible things that are happening in their lives um, when you're not yet in a position to enforce those sorts of boundaries I, I know personally that it can take a real toll on your mental health and um, I think that I think that it's actually really really important that people have been so open with the survey responses so that so that the um, the more senior family practitioner practitioners so the partners and the QCs um, will can can now see there's sort of evidence that mm. um, things are really difficult and uh, mm. something needs to change. Yeah, steps need to be taken. Mm. And I mean, it, it, it it's interesting. You touch on this idea of kind of taking your your uh, work home with you and being so involved. I guess we are dealing with clients at 
such an important time in their lives and a time where their emotions are at its highest and it's bound to have an effect on us isn't it we just can't can't we just got to figure out ways of protecting ourselves from that yeah and I think um vicarious trauma is is a huge part of the job that we do because even if it's not what you know most people might consider a traumatic event mm. um the loss of a family structure and you know everything that they thought was going to happen in their lives with this person that they're losing I'm speaking in broad terms about relationship mm. breakdown but of course we do other sorts of things as well um that is a deeply traumatic event and you mm. as their primary advisor um during that time are subjected to those those ideas those thoughts those stories which can be mm. vicariously traumatic um not obviously to the same extent as it is for them but you're you're living that with them so mm. um it, it boundaries can be really important but also support mm. to help you work through that is really mm. important as well so Nina, do you think it's just about the nature of our work that has such an impact on um, our, our well-being or that family law practitioners I think, face? I think that there's a number of well-being issues that we're facing really um, as practitioners. By the very nature of what we do, our clients are often going through the most difficult periods in their lives. And I think it's important and natural for family lawyers to sympathize with clients' emotional experiences. But I think it's also very easy for that to move on to sort of empathizing, whereas opposed to sympathizing and understanding with someone, someone suffering, you're actually then really feeling it yourself and what mm. they're going through, which mm. means it can all become a bit more personal um, mm. and I don't think it's necessarily easy to identify a stage when that happens but as a practitioner it can really um, start making everything feel very personal you can put, feel very personally invested in a case and find that it has an ongoing emotional impact on you making it difficult to shut off from and likewise you might find for example that your opponents are um, having that those sorts of feelings and um, I think we've probably all been in situations where um, you know you might get a call or a letter from a solicitor or a counsel on the other side mm. um, that's really quite scathing and, and can mm. make you feel as though well this you know your client's going through a difficult time but this isn't this isn't your life if you know we can we're here to help sort things out and I think that as well can have quite a significant impact on um, your management of cases and, and your well-being um, when dealing with clients. I think combine all of that with the fact that we're often working long hours with um, pressures, with time recording, billing targets, particularly as solicitors, um, and with the development of technology, essentially being on call 24 seven um, by not only clients, but sometimes uh, colleagues in other departments or people on the other side of cases. Um, it can make it very difficult to shut off from the, yeah. you know, daily activity of our jobs. And I think, um, 
that that's probably got worse hasn't it after lockdown because we've got used to dealing with those uh cases remotely and part of dealing with it remotely is that you know I've been speaking to opponents um on the phone well after the normal kind of four o'clock court curfew um because it's just slower dealing with it remotely so you're so you're right it's kind of dealing with everything um whether it's from clients or other solicitors or um, other barristers well past usual working hours and that's got to take a a toll on on your well-being yeah I think things have really been exacerbated um Mm. since um, the pandemic and the various lockdowns I think it's not only more difficult to set boundaries with um, clients and opponents, but it's also quite difficult to set boundaries ourselves. And I think, um, you know, when you have to leave the office to go and catch a train to get home or something like that, it's quite different to switching off your computer and closing what might be your um, bedroom door where you're going to go back and sleep in a few hours or living room door or you know close Mm. things up from sitting at the kitchen table all day I think Mm. that that um being able to shut off at the end of the day Mm. is is tricky on many fronts Mm. and and I think also not having your team or colleagues around you that you can just immediately debrief um Mm. with is something that people have started I think going back into the offices have started to be really grateful for certainly Mm. our team we have you know coming off a difficult client call or coming across a tricky legal issue and being able to just swing your chair around and have a chat with a colleague or you know get an opinion it's it's such valuable interaction yeah that just hasn't been much in the last 18 months yeah, and actually, um, that's particularly valuable for juniors who sometimes, you know, if it's a difference between being able to kind of grab a cup of coffee kind of just immediately after a difficult phone call in the office, as opposed to having to take a step to actually call a more senior um, member of uh, the firm or chambers actually it can be a bit of a hurdle for, for, for those who might feel well am I being silly um, you know having to talk about this should I be ashamed of this um, and actually barriers are a, a bit more down aren't they when everyone's around each other in person because it can be more casual it doesn't have to be a big deal uh, to offload to someone else. I completely agree. And I think yeah. that um, as a, you know, as a team, we've always sort of operated an open door policy, but it's quite different, I think, um, for, as you say, a junior member of a team to come to a partner and say, what do you think about this? Or I've just had this call mm. with a client or just, you know, overhearing conversations on the phone, um, as opposed to actually having to set up a Teams call or a Zoom call to have a almost a more formal conversation about things and um, mm. I think that it's been invaluable being back in the office space and being able to reignite those very natural and casual discussions which are actually really important for um, our mental health and for junior members of the team to feel properly supported 
and mm. um, able to um, get that su- support and advice and guidance that mm. that they need in a much more sort of casual and informal setting. Mm. And so Jesse mentioned, you know, that those um, figures made senior people actually kind of stop and take stock of difficulties surrounding well-being and uh, and the like and so you know what's been the response to these issues being aired Jesse? What, what, what initiatives have been taken to combat them? Um, so we're very lucky at Howard Kennedy that the the firm provides a great deal of well-being support um, mm. as standard to and we're a full service firm so obviously there's lots of people doing slightly less traumatic <laughs> areas of law um, mm. and so so we're quite lucky that as standard we all have access to um, support and we do lots of training on um, uh, mental well-being and that sort of thing but what what we've certainly done since uh, since the report came out um, we shared that with the more senior management in the firm who've basically said do do some research on this how how can we help you Um, and I should just I should just say sorry to interrupt the report you're talking about is the well-being in family law report that was um, a partnership between uh, I think resolution uh, law care um, and had input from the FLBA Mm-hmm. Um, and that was released in May yes. or thereabouts. Yeah. And that, that I think, did make quite sobering reading for the senior members uh, of our management committee mm. here who uh, basically looked at that and said, what can we do to help? Um, because it's in nobody's interests for the junior members of our team, let alone the senior members, to burn out. Um, that's not good for anybody. It's not good for us. It's not good for our clients and it's not good for the business. So um, that's definitely something that we've been working on since uh, the wellbeing report came out to try to work out what um, what we can do to make our lives a little bit easier. And that has, that has sort of happened uh, passively by our return to the office every few days um, because we're now in a situation where we can have those informal sort of uh, blowing off steam conversations in the middle of the day um, but we're also looking into more formal um, uh, types of support and the, the big thing that we're working on at the moment is trying to uh, provide uh, this new new idea of supervision um, to the whole team which actually includes the support staff um, who are reading the same uh, information and dealing with the same clients as we are and therefore need just as much uh, well-being support as the lawyers do. Um, so supervision is this uh, is quite a new concept and everybody I've spoken to about it who doesn't know what it is already presumes mm. it's um, supervision in the typical sense, i.e. Uh, somebody a bit more senior checking a letter for you to make sure that you're not doing anything negligent. <laughs> my main understanding of supervision so this is a this is supervision in the way that uh therapists know supervision um so it's a maybe maybe more senior maybe it's a peer um therapist who will talk to the therapist about the, the cases that they have going on and the the issues that those cases have raised 
um, for that provider of service to to those mm. people. Um, and there is a, a, a growing movement um, to making it standard for family law practitioners to have to have to have supervision in that sense, um, where you are. You, you meet regularly usually once a month for about an hour yeah um with somebody who is trained uh, so either they are a therapeutic supervisor for therapists who and they've done a short course to get them familiar with the family legal system um, or they are a senior family lawyer who's done a longer course to uh, get them familiar with how to therapeutic, therapeutically supervise somebody um, and and how does that work? Yeah. How does that work with kind of confidentiality of the cases that you're that you're dealing with? I mean, is it all spoken about in anonymous terms or or what? My understanding, and I'm not an expert in this, <laughs> is that uh, they have their own um, confidentiality agreements with the lawyer that they're supervising and they also obviously are regulated professionals so they are subject to their own um, code of conduct and their own ethical obligations as either a therapist or uh, a solicitor or a family lawyer. Um, And so that's something that Howard Kennedy uh, taking up are they um, we're, yes we're in the process of uh, sort of speaking to some supervisors to see see how that would work um, and interestingly with a view perhaps to offering it to the other uh, trauma facing for want of a better phrase um, areas yeah. of specialism within the firm so our, our criminal team and our human rights uh, mm. team who are also coming up against you know what and, you basically say is just horrible stories um that you're yeah. then absorbing and taking home with you yeah and then there any other initiatives that um that you're aware of that that are aimed at kind of the well-being issues facing family practitioners yes yeah, so there's the um i think it's law care who do, who who also put input into the well-being survey they were part of the of that process yeah. that offer um, a well-being helpline for lawyers who are struggling um, to call up and have a chat about what they need support with um, there's access to uh, your sort of more bog standard therapy therapy and counseling um, and there's also I mean I'm I'm quoting now from the well-being survey but there's uh, there were lots of uh, suggestions of providing a well-being toolkit now I'm not actually Mm. sure I don't know if Nina knows what what that would what what a well-being toolkit looks like um whether it's uh, a list of resources or uh, training for skills to be able to spot in other people in your juniors or in your peers um signs that Mm. someone else might need some help with their well-being um Mm because that's that's part of it as well as empowering us to be able to spot when somebody else needs help um, mm. and to know how how to help them in a responsible way that doesn't uh, involve their trauma then rubbing off, off, mm. off on us and then we need help you know it, it's 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 quite a tricky um, area and it's I think it's a very exciting time actually to be interested in well-being within within family law because there Mm. are all these um, 
things coming out that that our people are trying to make our lives easier which is always a nice thing isn't it mm, exactly um so i mean just going back to the report um nina and jesse what were the kind of principal findings of it and and what were the recommendations i um i found it interesting albeit perhaps not unsurprising to read that 89% of those who were surveyed in the report had experienced negative well-being issues as a result of their work and that the majority of people had felt that work-related pressures and stress had increased following the COVID-19 lockdowns. And the causes of this appeared to be quite wide-ranging but the predominant cause that was flagged in the report was client demands and expectations um, mm. which I think we've spoken about already. Mm. Other causes that they mention include things like the court delays, which I know can have a huge mm. impact on cases and, mm. and on clients and clients' expectations, which, yeah. which you have to manage. Um, yeah. There are also lots of concerns about job security and risk of redundancy, which is perhaps not unsurprising given the, the turmoil um, of the economy over, over the past um, year and a half or slightly mm. longer than that. Um, and then the, the high workload and long hours that we've spoken about as well, I think have all reported to have been a cause for the um, negative well-being that people have experienced. Mm. Um, the pressures that these tolls are taking on practitioners mean that mistakes are being made, physical health is suffering, family life and relationships are reported to have also suffered. And um, I found it most upsetting really to read that 5% of those in the survey had gone so far as to experience suicidal thoughts or thoughts of self-harm during the last 12 months um, prior to the report being produced, which I yeah. found um, you know, an incredibly sad statistic yeah. to read. Um, and I think just shines the light on how important it is yeah. for this very, you know, topic to be explored in more depth and mechanisms put in place to, to protect people within the industry. So we've spoken about the initiatives that firms or chambers can uh, consider to help um, improve well-being but what can we do as individuals within the within family law to make a change so I think the the core principle that we need to be holding on to is that everybody who we come across whether that be a client or an opposing solicitor or a judge or a barrister or uh, opposing counsel, we're all human beings. We are all going through something. Certainly at the moment, everybody is going through uh, a global pandemic and it's, it's aftershocks. Um, and patience and empathy are hugely important. And the, the point where this intersects with initiatives is training so that we, we, we know when to spot the warning signs in other people. Also, 
to be able to take a step back from uh, from perhaps receiving an antagonistic email from from somebody who you haven't had a good relationship with historically, and being able to say this isn't about me, and it is something's going on with that person, and I'm just gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and try not to hop on the train of uh, you know doubling down um, with the with the aggression because actually it doesn't mm. help our clients it doesn't mm. help justice really and it's deeply toxic um and has an impact on everybody's well-being um to be sort of dragged down into that uh, aggressive way of dealing with mm. things and i think it's that patient um to just be able to take a step and take a moment to try to you're not going to be able to know exactly what's going on with that person but what Mm. you do know is that something's going on and that means you just need to give them give them a minute sometimes yeah even even if yeah even if it's just pressure from their client you know how often have we had opponents or Mm. dealt with um uh, representatives for the other side when actually they've appeared incredibly aggressive and actually mm-hmm. it transpires it's because they've just been had a, a been given a really hard time by their own client and they kind yeah. of take it out on you yeah yeah I think we've all been there haven't we <laughs> some a client a client is is having a very stressful time as we've already established they are probably behaving terribly Mm. but not in a way that they would ever consider acceptable at any other time Mm. in their life with any any other person Um, and that can be infectious if we're not um if we're not equipped to try to draw that line um and i could talk for hours about boundaries but boundaries Mm. with with clients um who are really the, they're the source of the trauma and we're just little satellites in that mm. in, in what they're going through if you're able and when to you say, say sorry. sorry no when you say boundaries kind of what, what what sort of things are you what sort of examples might you give of of installing appropriate boundaries when it comes to work so it can be physical so you could just say uh so i for example um I have a lodger and so I work in my bedroom because she's in the spare room. So I've been working in my bedroom for, well, since the beginning of the pandemic. And so physical boundaries for me are really important. So at the end of the day, I will sort of close the bedroom door, as Nina said, and spend some time in the living room. And that means that once I've left my room, it stops being an office. And then when I go back into it, it's a bedroom again. Um, And having that sort of very clear physical delineation between work and home, particularly when we're working at home. Um, But there's also psychological boundaries. So setting very clear rules with the more demanding clients about when they will have access to you and when they will not have access to you. Mm. And Mm. being being clear with them that you are there for them in an emergency, but they they can't expect to be able to speak to you immediately um, all the time. Um, And that, I mean, that I I had a particularly bad time last year with with my mental health um, and have been in therapy for a few years. And my Mm. anxiety last year got, very bad um but actually Mm. taking that step realizing 
this is becoming unhealthy you know mm. lots of people who are having a terrible time have unfettered access to me and I need to stop that um and sort of setting rules about um mm. when I am prepared to be available um to mm. other people and I think that as as practitioners in this particular area of law we are uh I think it's quite easy to be afraid of setting those boundaries and what the client mm. might do but I have found that in all cases they've they've been absolutely fine with it um because they're human as well that's the thing we just need to keep remembering <laughs> we're all just human beings really we're in this system um but at the heart of it um it's relationships and it's human beings mm. and Actually, one of the things that, that does come through the report is this idea, and, I, and actually it was recently stressed in a talk um, by FLBA on dealing with oppressive conduct inside and outside uh, the courtroom. Um, but this idea of checking in on our colleagues, and I know you spoke about empathy and looking out for, but, but actually kind of going above and beyond the kind of cursory how are you doing actually you know particularly with juniors checking in you know following up making sure um that that um that people are, are doing well and are able to air and talk about um mental health issues because there has been historically a, a stigma about it hasn't there yeah and i think the I important think so. sorry nina you go no you go jessica um, thank you. The, the, the important thing um, and the sort of very help, helpful thing to remember is that it's not about asking, how are you? It's about asking, yeah. how are you really? Mm. And it, it's not just cursory. Oh, hey, you know, the cats are going mad at the moment. It's actually I've had mm. a really difficult time and, mm. um, and being open and uh, candid about what what you are going through particularly as a senior person actually and leading from uh, the front and saying you know I might be a partner or I might be a senior associate but I'm really struggling with anxiety at the moment or that sort of thing um, and we can we, we can uh, we can then follow in their footsteps by being sort of given that permission to, mm. to feel those difficult feelings and seek help for those difficult yeah. feelings and not be yeah not be ashamed to do it yeah exactly it's about yeah. removing the shame and yeah. the, the easiest way to um to reduce shame is to be permissive of things and open yeah yeah and nina finally what can i come to you yeah i mean i i second everything that jesse has said really and i think that the final point about really, we have to make sure we're taking care of others and that we're looking out for others um, on a very, you know, basic level. Um, it, it's great that um, well-being and um, in our industry is being looked at under a microscope. And I think that um, I'm encouraged that things like supervision and helplines and well-being policies are sort of coming into play. But I think these things often take a bit of time and actually what yeah. can we do today in order to yeah. help each other 
And I think that the, the point you make about not shaming and leading from the front and saying, well, look, we're in this together. Um, it's okay to have a bad day. Um, don't keep it to yourself. And, yeah. and it's, it's important that people feel comfortable to speak to um, colleagues about how they are coping or not coping. Mm. without the fear that that's going to be shunned or put to one side or not listened to um mm. we need to make sure that we are looking out for each other and um and not being critical um if somebody's having a tough time so yeah and using using appropriate language around these issues you know making sure as jesse said that, that that we're speaking about things permissively and i think that does mean a marked change in how we talk about mental health issues and well-being so that people feel able to air concerns yeah absolutely yeah well Jesse, Nina, I think that's about all we've got time for today. That has been incredibly interesting and uh, certainly something we have all got to uh, have an eye to um, and take care of each other. Um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.